felt like being newly sober. I felt like I was a Disney princess, like walking through New York City. I was like seeing it with this fresh perspective. Yeah, and just feeling really good and enjoying that. And, and that was kind of my pink cloud. And then, you know, I think that what people really mean by that is just that you continue to be a human living life and life isn't perfect. Welcome to the show that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their choice to not drink. I'm Kate Madry, and I'm so happy you're here. Sobriety is like a thumbprint, and just like your skincare routine or your self-care routine, everyone's sober care routine is very different. By the end of each conversation, you'll leave with a little bit more insight to help guide you while building your sober care routine. This is a clear-headed podcast. Today's conversation is with author of Drinking Games, Sarah Levy. She had a book signing at the Clearheaded Pop-Up actually in January, and we just hit it off. This conversation is such a good representation of what good close combos can sound like when you're talking about somebody's story. Sarah has a newsletter called Seltzer Rocks, and it's linked in the show notes. I think we just get into it, and if you can time travel with me, and go back to the moment where you really realized alcohol wasn't serving you anymore. What mm. was that moment of clarity like? Mm. I feel like I had so many moments, so many little moments where I knew that alcohol wasn't serving me anymore um, throughout my twenties and they needed to kind of like pile up before I was really ready to eliminate alcohol entirely because it really seemed like it would be the end of my life. Like not drinking seemed like it would really be the worst thing ever. Um, but that final moment was a little over five years ago now, like five and a half years ago, I was living in New York and I had just turned 28 and I was just in this point in my life. It just felt like you know, a lot of my friends and people that I was close to were like moving forward and finding their life partners and advancing professionally and just like knew who they were. And I felt like so stuck. And I had this night where like so many other nights before I went out, I drank too much. I woke up feeling so hungover, feeling really embarrassed about how I had behaved and I was just done. And I think it was all those other little moments that had come before and like the little whispers that I had sort of been ignoring for so long, telling me like, you don't drink like other people. Like you're probably like going to need to stop drinking at some point. Like it would kind of come in and out. It was all of those little moments combined that on that one morning, I just it, they were so loud and it was just like, yeah. I kind of felt like I'd been smacked over the head. I was like, wow, I need to stop. I'm so unhappy and comparing myself to like all these people in my life and wondering what they're doing that I'm not doing. And maybe I need to just eliminate this one thing that constantly seems to make me feel worse. Mm -hmm. And that was, yeah, that was kind of like this weird I call it like a gift of desperation because it was this like weird moment where I just felt so desperate to make a change. And I, I needed that. I needed to feel so hopeless um, to do something that felt really radical, which was, you know, go sober. 
Yeah. And now you sit here like five years later, over five years later, and that radical change, like, I don't know, I guess I'm speaking with my own perspective, but it did feel like it was going to be the biggest hurdle to overcome and the biggest thing to set down and the hardest thing and it's going to be so impossible. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I did it. It's so much better. Mm-hmm. And now my mindset is like it's very easy for me to be like, no, I don't want to drink because I see the benefits of it. Do you feel mm-hmm. that same way too? Like as time went on, did it feel like less of a hurdle or life downgrade like it once would have seemed like? Oh, definitely. I love the name of your podcast. Clear-headed is exactly how I started to feel. And I just feel that way pretty quickly. Like I would say mm-hmm. within probably the first three months that I stopped drinking, I started to feel just so much more comfortable in my own skin. So mm-hmm. much like I was sleeping better I felt like my skin looked better. I felt like I, you know, just like the act of going to sleep and putting my head on the pillow and remembering everything I had said or done. And then like waking up in the morning, still remembering what I had done the night before. Like I didn't have that for so long. For so long, I felt like I was like waking up and kind of playing detective. Like how did the night end? Do I have my wallet? Do I have my phone? Like, who did I text? Right? Like, is anyone upset with me? And just that kind of calm and peace that I felt every day was incredible. And yeah, I mean, I I feel like I wouldn't still be sober if I didn't start to feel so much better so quickly, you know? And, And today, like, it definitely doesn't feel like a downgrade or like I'm not, you know, living my life to the fullest or having fun. Like it's been the complete opposite for me. That was the fear before I stopped drinking. But then once I kind of like dipped my toe into sobriety, I realized like how amazing it really felt. It's funny because I mean, there's all these words like that we use or I've heard to describe the like the pink cloud effect where people almost Mm. warn you about the pink cloud effect. Like you're going to get on this kind of replacement high of being like, I don't have hangovers and I remember everything. And there's kind of two warnings I personally got about that. One, try to extend that pink cloud as long as you can and really like understand where that gratitude is coming from so that it doesn't go away. And then the other point of view was like, that's going to go away. That happiness is going to go away. And then you're going to be left to your own devices. So you better get a system in place. Did you get any of those notes or even like internally after that three month were you like, okay, um, I feel like this high is going to end. I remember hearing people talk about the pink cloud and I felt nervous when I would hear about it because I felt really good. And I was like, wait, Mm -hmm. No, I just started to feel good after feeling so bad for so long. Like, what do you mean it's gonna it's gonna go away? And I think for me, what the experience was was just that anything new, I think there's like 
a little bit of a high and kind of the novelty of it all. Like being newly sober, I felt like I was a Disney princess, like walking through New York City. I was like, the birds are chirping and like the sky is so blue. Like, because I had just been like so hungover with like a cloud over my head for the last Mm -hmm. few years. So I was just seeing it with this fresh perspective and yeah, and just feeling really good and enjoying that. And, And that was kind of my pink cloud. And then, you know, I think that what people really mean by that is just that you continue to be a human living life and life isn't perfect, right? Getting sober doesn't mean that you're not going to have a bad day or you're not going to lose your job or have a relative get sick or whatever it may be. And so I think coming out of those initial few months, I would say I, I was kind of like in my pink cloud for, for a while, for like maybe most of my first year, I just was like really, And I think I've also had other pink cloud periods in sobriety um, Mm. where I'm like, to your point, really tapping into the gratitude and just like, it never gets old waking up on a Saturday without a hangover, right? Like that feeling is, is I can tap into, but then, yeah, I think like there were just other periods of life where life was lifey and I knew that like you know, drinking would only make it worse. So I was always confident in my decision not to drink, but that sort of pink cloud effect dissipated for me at different periods. And then it's come back and then it's dissipated. Right. And I think, yeah, like what you're describing with having tools in place for when life throws curveballs at you is probably what people are trying to convey when they talk about the pink cloud. Totally. I think like the most important one I've realized is what you just said. I know that drinking is going to make it worse. The first Mm -hmm. tool that I gained was perspective shifting, just shifting Mm -hmm. your perspective on how you see something that you used to think was like your BFF. (laughs) You're a toxic ex. I really don't want you to do anything for me. Contact me hit me up, come over for a one night stand. Like I don't want booze to be my toxic ex at all, have any access to me. When when you had that perspective shift, realizing, you know, that it wasn't, that alcohol wasn't serving you anymore. How have you navigated continuing to like shift your perspective specifically in your career path like you have this incredible book called drinking games I think you had talked or mentioned to my girlfriend Sarah when we were at the pop-up that like you had wanted to write for a long time and it wasn't until you stopped drinking that you had the motivation, the, I don't know, inspiration to go ahead and execute that dream. How did you go about that? How did you motivate yourself to do that? And like, what did that look like in terms of just feeling like, I don't know, that's kind of, this is a wordy question, but like, I'm with you. What was that like? Did you get overwhelmed? Were you like, holy shit, I'm writing a book. Wow. Wow. This is full full circle. I'm doing it. Yes. And like, did it, did it trigger you? Did you feel overwhelmed? Like, what was that like? What was it like? So 
before I got sober, you know, I was the girl at the bar talking about all the things that she wanted to do. So I was talking about the book that I wanted to write. I had always wanted to be a writer. I studied creative writing in college and I just felt a lot of like, there's so many labels, imposter syndrome, paralysis, whatever, um, perfectionism, like not even starting something because I didn't think it would ever be good enough. So I think regardless of the term, I wasn't writing and I was talking a lot about how I wanted to write. Um, And I ended up working in marketing as a lot of like English majors do. And I was working at a startup um, towards the end of my drinking. And then the first year that I got sober and, you know, I think that as I became more connected with myself in sobriety and just started to feel like more aware of how I was spending my time, I really started thinking more about this dream that I had. And, you know, I would read books and, right, I wasn't going out like every single night. So I was home, I was watching TV, I was reading books. It was sort of just like reconnecting with these things that I had once loved. And, um, and I just, you know, it wasn't like an overnight, I'm going to write a book. It was, well, maybe I can write one freelance essay. And I did that. I pitched an idea for a story that I had about sober dating and how awkward it had been for me. And I wrote that for the cut and had a positive response to that. And just sort of like similarly to in sobriety where I was really taking it one day and one step at a time, I started doing the same thing with my writing. And a couple of years later, I left my full-time job and decided to pursue writing full-time and started writing my book, which is now out and called Drinking Games. And yes, oh my gosh, I had so many moments throughout that process where I was like, so grateful and excited to be doing it and so terrified that I wouldn't be able to finish, that it wouldn't be good enough. I still have that feeling where it's out, it's done. And I'm like, is it good enough? Like, do people like it? Right? Like, what will my next book be like? Will people like that one? I think those are just thoughts that I'll probably always have. I don't know if everyone has them or if that's just like the way that my brain is wired, but you know, it really was just such an exercise in taking those next right actions and like doing it one hour at a time, because otherwise I would get so overwhelmed and think like, what is this going to look like in five years? And I just, I I couldn't do that. I wouldn't have written a single sentence if that was the mindset that I had the whole time. Yeah. Well, first of all, yes, I think every creative person thinks the way you do. Mm -hmm. I think any person in general who is doing something they love. Maybe, I mean, even like parents who are raising Mm. a child, they probably sit there every day and go, am I doing this right? What's going to happen in five years? Like, I think that means that you're paying energy and putting energy into something that you love. So you're not alone in that feeling. Um, I also think I love the parallel that you just drew. It is like a one step at a time for everything. Drinking, Mm -hmm. creating, not drinking. Um, But what I found for myself too is that those like tendencies like perfectionism and um, like analysis paralysis where you're like, well, how am I going to do it and where do I go? 
other than taking it one step at a time, what else do you do to like calm those voices that maybe alcohol used to once quiet for you? Mm-hmm. Do you meditate? Do you journal? Do you worry once, yes. worry well? What's your strategy on that? I meditate. I don't do it perfectly. I try to do it every day, even if it's just for five minutes. Sometimes it helps immediately and I feel a shift. Other days, not so much, but it's a practice and I just try to like be consistent in it. And I have had periods where it's brought me a ton of relief, like during the pandemic and really writing the book. I was meditating pretty consistently. I love to journal. I've journaled my whole life and that's always been like literally since I was seven, like I have old journals and that's always been a really therapeutic practice for me. But the biggest thing I think honestly is like getting out of my head after I've done those things. So I'll meditate, I'll journal, I'll get it all on paper. And then it's like, how can I be of service to someone else right now to get out of my own like spiral, right? Sometimes that's just like getting out of the house, going for a walk, calling someone and like asking them how they are and really listening. Um, other times it's like I'm of service to my dog. Like I'll take her out for a walk or I'll play with her or whatever it is. Because I think for me, a big part of why and how I drank was because I was so self-obsessed and like just constantly thinking of what did other people think of me? Do they like me? Right. And I need to lower the volume on that when it starts to get really loud now. Um, because even without alcohol, I definitely can still have those thoughts of like just self-obsession. And so, yeah, I think the biggest tools are anything that can kind of get me out of my head. Yeah, super helpful. And also, of course, we're all self- self-obsessed. We're humans. Like that's what mm-hmm. makes us human, the ego leading with that. Um, I want to kind of swing back to all of the steps that you took and kind of the moments of realization. And I don't um, identify as being in recovery and I don't know if you do either, but for the sake of using this term, I really feel like there's a discovery phase before recovery where Mm -hmm. you're kind of asking yourself these questions, you're figuring it out, you're sober curious, you're even just reflecting on like, wow, I hate the way I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, me and my definition, that's all part of your journey and super important and super valid. Mm -hmm. And you had such a unique experience with going to one meeting of moderation treatment. Moderation Um, management, I think it's Management, management, management. Mm -hmm. And that, I had never heard of that before. I had never heard of the approach to really like apply sharing about how you're trying to moderate your drinking in like almost the same format as like an AA meeting. Yeah. Um, and now with like the sober curious wording and even when we had dry January and I did that pop-up shop, people would come and go, I'm doing damp January. And that's like mm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to know, like, what's your perspective on that now? Mm. I think you and I are aligned in that there's no judgment in, like, how we see people's journeys. So not to assume that you have, like, a judgment about it. But I just – I'm so curious from your perspective, having gone to that meeting and now seeing this kind of wave of damp and 
a damp mm-hmm. lifestyle or a curious lifestyle like what's yeah. your what's your thought like what do you think I love that question and I love this idea of the discovery phase I think probably a lot of people listening are in a discovery phase I was in one for probably five or six years before I went fully sober. And it was a really important stage in my recovery because I was collecting a lot of information during that time. And I needed that information locked and loaded when I ultimately like had that morning that I talked about earlier of just feeling done because I was able to look back and kind of think, okay, well, for the last few years, you've been experiencing these feelings every time you drink, right? It was just, I, there couldn't be any question unanswered in my mind or or I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten sober. So in the discovery phase, a big part of it for me was trying to moderate my drinking. And it's sort of funny now to think back on, you know, any substance that's not serving you, right? So say it's coffee, caffeine. And every single time you drink coffee, you feel anxious, you feel jittery, you feel like not good. And yet for me, that was alcohol and I was obsessed with moderating. So it would be like, if you were Googling, like how to moderate my coffee intake, like, do I have one sip, four sips, half a cup, iced, hot, like the insanity of it. Right. So like for me, I, I use that term, the insanity of it, um, because it was that for me, it was just like maddening. And instead of you know, sober curious wasn't really a term back then. This was like 20, between 2013 and 2016 when I was first sort of sober, what I would now call sober curious, but when I was in my discovery phase. And so I didn't know that like drinking less was an option or Mm -hmm. there were no mocktails available like at bars, right? Like none of that existed. So what I went to instead was how can I moderate my drinking? How can I still drink when I go out, but just do less of it? And I, like any good millennial, like turned to Google and was like, how do you moderate your drinking? And found this program called Moderation Management. It, like AA, had in-person meetings like all over New York City where I was living. And I went one night after work, it was like in Times Square. And it was wild. It was a group of middle-aged people talking about what their drinking had looked like that week. And, you know, some of them had set intentions to only have one bottle of wine and they were upset because they had had two or three and others were dealing with consequences of partners threatening to leave. And there was no mention of being sober. It was almost approached as like, sobriety and abstinence is really dramatic and Mm -hmm. moderation is like the logical middle ground, like everything in in balance, everything in moderation. And so I really subscribed to that belief that it was possible to just moderate my drinking. Um, And I didn't continue going to those meetings because they kind of bummed me out, honestly. Like I just didn't see examples of people who, they didn't seem happy They seem to really be struggling to moderate, but I did in my own discovery phase, continue trying to moderate. And what I found was it was really hard for me. Like having one glass of wine 
sort of triggered this obsession for me where I was thinking about my next glass and wanting more and wanting to feel the effects of it, wanting to feel buzzed, wanting to feel drunk, wanting to that effect to last. It felt like effervescent. I felt really good when um, alcohol kicked in and it was always trying to maintain that buzz and how much more do I, you know, when am I? And so the moderating thing really didn't work for me, but I needed to spend a few years trying because that, you know, I needed to know that I couldn't do it. Yeah, I think it's really, really important. Well, one, I think just that whole experience of going to that meeting is so unique because it is a room full of people who have been told exactly what you and I and anybody who tells like most people, not now, but like a couple years ago, oh, I want to stop drinking. Why? You're too young. Just moderate. Only have one glass. All that kind of like now we know toxic advice. Mm -hmm. trying to be applied and seeing like these stories surrounding you of like, this is the outcome when I try to follow that advice. I just think that's just so unique. It's so unique. Um, And I also think for most people that moderation phase is so needed and necessary. And it really has, what I've seen is it's, eliminated a lot of the intimidation part of having an alcohol-free life because you have the option of like trying to moderate, seeing how it works, or even just having like a reflective period like you did. Like this is a lot of energy. Even if I accomplish, quote, moderating my drinking right now, it's still like a lot of energy to, to be sitting there thinking about when I can't get another glass, how do I do it? Maybe if I like, for me, I used to be like, if I order everyone a shot, then mm-hmm. I'm taking a shot. It's like everyone, and it's fun and it's cool. And then I'm just going to, I will casually slip in, let's do another. And I would just end up spending, by the way, so much money. So much money. Same. To <laughs> make it seem like I was with it. So I just, I, I really, I love that. I mean, Sometimes I even still think about it too. This is such a random question, but do you ever have like dreams that you've like been in that situation? You're like, oh, I drank. Yes. And you wake up and you're like, what the hell? I didn't. Yes. I feel weird. I feel weird. Yes, I do have them. I had them all the time my first year and I would wake up terrified. And I remember talking to a sober girlfriend about it and she was like, oh, those are good. Those are healthy. It's good to have like a healthy fear of drinking because it keeps us doing the stuff that we need to do every day to kind of like maintain our, I'll just use the word recovery. Right. Right. Um, because I think otherwise, like the farther I get from a drink, I really can forget what it was like and how bad I felt. And those dreams are terrifying, but I wake up and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so happy that I'm sober. I'm so happy. It was just a dream. Right. It's like that little validation. And even when yeah. I talk to other people on here, a lot of people's stories are instead of them having a dream that they went and they slipped or they went for that drink or they kind of buckled, mm-hmm. they did it in real life. But it's like that mm-hmm. fuel even though is just validation that you're you're doing, you were on the right track. Like just go back to that track. It serves you better and it and it mm-hmm. makes you feel better overall. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
also I just have to say I was the exact same with like buying everyone shots and ordering for the table and like I remember being at a dinner once and the it was like for someone's birthday and then the check came and he was like when did you he was like did you order two more bottles of wine like for everyone like and I was like no that's so weird but like I had and yeah then we had to pay for it and like no one wanted to drink it and I was just like I'll drink it right I I was constantly thinking of like getting everyone as drunk as I was and being like it's fun like let's take a shot it was my own mental like I know and then it's what's so like interesting about that too is it becomes your personality in your friend group or at least for me it Mm -hmm. did like yeah, yes, when me you too. Go out with Kate, it's super fun. Like she'll buy mm-hmm. a shot, she'll do it, and then it's like this hamster wheel. It's like so intimidating and hard to get out of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you Sarah's can always get out down. of it. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Always down, always down. Mm-hmm. Um, until you're like too down. You're too down on yourself. You're too down in your mental. You're too down in your goals and your dreams, and you've like lost yourself. Yeah. Um, and it, it sounds like that's where you got clear-headed. And it's where I got clear-headed. Nice plug. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to wrap this chat up with asking about, like, the now. And what mm-hmm. do you do? What is your, like, sober care routine? What tools and fun things are you reaching for right now in your life? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting being at this stage of sobriety, like, five years in where the newness has worn off. I still am doing a lot of the things I did in the very beginning, but it takes a little bit more work, I think, for me to feel as good as I did when I was newly sober. So I meditate. I do have like a relationship with what I call the universe, just like something bigger than me where like that helps me feel really connected and that I'm not like solely responsible for every single thing that happens in the world because that was just always a source of anxiety for me and um and and kept me like in my in my kind of hamster wheel I am and I do identify as being in recovery and I do have a community of other sober friends and sober women like in particular who I lean on pretty heavily in moments where I'm struggling and so that today doesn't look like me wanting a drink, but there are moments where I feel like, you know, like you, like we were just talking about, like the thinking, you know, everybody hates me or I can't do this. I can't write another book or, you know, moving, I moved from New York to Los Angeles during the pandemic. Like I'm never going to make new friends. Just like all of those life obstacles and moments of uncertainty, having a community of other people who also don't drink is really helpful because I think For other people, the answer might be, oh, you're in a new city, like meet up with someone for drinks or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So just having people who get it is um, a huge part of kind of how I stay on the beam. And and then just like self-care things, you know, I like to be active and move my body in ways that feel good. That was something that I really wasn't doing. I wasn't really taking care of myself when I was drinking um getting good sleep like drinking a lot of water just showing up for myself and you know things that I didn't think about when I was like down to go out with whoever and staying up all night and then sleeping you know the rest of the day yeah I love it moving your body has been like a theme recently I think it is really important especially just even in your brain 
chemistry, like dopamine or the serotonin is released with certain workouts and certain things and certain cardio. Um, I definitely. Yeah. And I remember, I remember being told early on in sobriety, like you move a muscle, you change a thought. So anytime I'm kind of in a thought spiral, it doesn't have to be like CrossFit or anything intense. Like I don't do anything (laughs) like that. Like I don't run, like I go for walks. I know like Pilates, I like yoga, whatever. And if you love CrossFit, do CrossFit, right? It's just finding something that you enjoy. I think there's a really strong mind-body connection there. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you Mm -hmm. so much for sitting and talking with me. Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy to have you in my network of people that I can look up to. And thank you for writing the book. And I'm excited for the next one. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved talking to you and so glad to know you. For more guidance on building your sober care routine, head to clearheaded.co or follow us on Instagram at clearheaded.co. (laughs) 